Some of you remember <laughs> at the beginning of this year, I said a couple times, I said, you've got to watch out because this is an election year. And there are people that are going to be out to get you angry because they need you angry and they want to keep you angry. So you've got to watch out. Remember I said this several times. And then when COVID happened, I said, hey, guys, watch out because it's an election year. They're going to come and they're going to try and get you angry and they're going to try and knock you off of your walk with the Lord. And, you know, the riots happened and all the rest of it happened. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened, right? And that does not make me a prophet. That just makes me an American. I've lived here for a while, so I know how it goes. And emotions have run high. Mine too, right? Mine have run high too. And along the way, I've been asked by several different people at several different times why we as a church have not done more to engage in the political process. I've also had other folks come up to me and say, thank you so much for not doing this. So there's a, there's a good wide range of opinions on this here. And I've given the same explanation to everybody, but I wanted to take a second to lay out very clearly and, and positively, like not just saying what we're not doing, but positively, uh, our, our strategy when it comes to these kinds of things. And, and part of me is glad that at least as of, you know, before I came out here, the, the election remained undecided because I would not want to be accused of saying these things in response to the results of an election because that is not why I would say that. And hopefully I, I've earned enough respect at that point to avoid that, but still. And I don't think that we're all going to agree with everything that I say tonight, and that is okay. But I do want to be very clear that how we have conducted ourselves in this election year has been on purpose, and it is what we intend to continue to do in the future. And that is, that is where we stand, and this is what we do, and this is going to be why we do it. So let me just go ahead and put it out there in, in a sentence form, I guess, and then I'll, I'll go back and I'll explain it. While we, and we, I mean Calvary Chapel Trustville, just speaking for us here in this room now, okay? While we do not denounce or deny the importance of good laws and godly officials and healthy systems, we believe the role of the church is to proclaim the gospel of salvation and to make disciples in Jesus' name. We are wholly committed to that goal, and we do not spend our time pursuing matters of secondary importance. For that reason, we do not engage in the political process as an organization. And I would say that this is just one aspect of living out that strategy. The gospel and the word comes first. Anything that is secondary, we're not so interested in, which include a lot of noble and worthy things. And I guess you could put this in that category. What does this mean in plain English? We as a church, and I'm not giving you instructions, you understand now. I'm describing us as an organization. We do not donate to parties. We do not donate to campaigns. I'm never going to have candidates come in here and speak. We don't endorse candidates. We do not structure our teaching around political seasons and issues. Although, you know as well as I do, if it's in the air, we're probably going to talk about it a little bit, especially on the prayer meetings. But as a rule, we're not planning it out that way. Now, the first thing that I hear when I bring this up is, well, don't you understand what's going on? Yes, we do. We are very aware of the problems that are facing our country. We love this country, <laughs> and by we, I don't just mean me, I mean all of us, and I believe it is biblical to love your country because God puts you there. We're going to read later in Jeremiah 29 when he said, seek the welfare of the city to which you have been exiled. And in fact, I can only speak for myself here, but I am very personally opinionated on all these things. <laughs> if you've known me for any length of time, you know that, okay? 
You know, and I'm, I'm explaining this, but I mean, I voted. I stayed up till one watching the returns come in to no avail, but I still watched them. But I want to make sure this is clear because I don't want it to be like, well, you're just putting your head in the sand. No, I'm concerned. And I've expressed all these things I'm saying. I'm concerned about the, the rise of the acceptance of, of collectivist ideology because in the past, that has not turned out well for Christians. I'm concerned about political violence being increasing. I, I mean, always concerned about the over overreach of the government. There's all kinds of sexual deviance that is being normalized at all sorts of different levels. That concerns me. Abortion is a moral blight on our land, obviously. The churches are not in great shape as a whole, and we need revival. I've said all this before. But what I want us all to understand, and I need to remind myself sometimes, is when we get aggravated about these things, when, I, when my dander gets up, you know, when I read about something that someone said or did or some law that's on the table in Oregon or something like that, you know, it's always Oregon. I don't know why, but we'll just pick on Oregon. We've got to remember, and we say, well, what are we going to do about this? Here's what you must remember. This right here is what we're going to do about this. This church and the way we have planted it and the, what we do on a regular weekly basis is our strategy to counter the rise of evil and ungodliness in this country. And in any country where we would plant a church, where it would be different circumstances, be the same strategy against maybe different enemies, you could say. Because we believe. Remember I said on Sunday, an evangelical is somebody who actually believes this stuff? That's what we are. We believe that the Bible is the inspired and inerrant word of God. That it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That it divides even to the division of soul and spirit and bone and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It has a power like nothing else does. So, every Sunday, Wednesday, and any other day, we open it, we read it, and we study it. I remember when I was in college, I'll tell a quick one. I, I had a debate with uh, some of the deans of my department because they were removing a lot of the Bible book classes and replacing them with practical ministry courses. And I, you know, that's a matter of opinion. It's not scripture. But I said, you know, I'm concerned because there is a level of biblical illiteracy among these guys here. They don't know their Bibles. So to skip that and go straight to the application, I'm, I'm concerned about that. I think it's the same thing here. It's why we do this. We believe in the power of prayer. We prioritize prayer. I've said a thousand times, we're going to build this church by prayer or not at all. Sunday mornings, Wednesdays, before we start, we're praying. We take moments like this. We're going to pray tonight. We pray every Sunday night. We give a primary evening to that. Not just as a, as a token of virtue. You know, It's like, I prayed for it. It's my way of kind of saying, yes, I agree with that. That's not what prayer is. We believe that prayer is a weapon of warfare. We use it to seek the Lord's will and to find God's will for our lives and to see him work as he told us to. We encourage personal evangelism. I taught one just not too long at the end of the book of Acts about getting out there and sharing the gospel in your own life. We organize local outreaches. We organize, hopefully someday soon, foreign outreaches to get the gospel out. Now, some of that has slowed down because of COVID, but we want to do more of that. We make disciples through our small groups, through our home fellowships. This, meetings like this, our Sunday mornings are our primary disciple-making tool because we believe that we need to raise people up, like Jesus said, addressing the individual. We also want to engage with our community. We've got the Tribune articles that go out. We've got the radio broadcast that goes out on Sundays. We did the outreach with Bryant Park Elementary. We've got some other things in the work. I've been meeting with a local pastor trying to make some friends that way. 
because this is where Christ placed us and we want to work here because this is where we are. This is our plan. This is God's plan. (laughs) This is the way that God did it. Read Acts chapter 2. It tells you what the church was doing. They gathered together. They opened up the word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to prayer, to fellowship, to worship. This is the way God did it. God did not set up, through the church, God did not set up a top-down revolution. He set up a bottom-up revolution. That it starts with the individual, it starts with the outcast, the prostitutes, and the tax collectors. And it works its way through so that you get to Thessalonica and they say, these people turn the world upside down. The church can and has changed the world. Revolutions have been not nearly as effective as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Empires have cracked and fallen, and there's the church standing where their empire fell. People think they can shut down the church for generations and generations, and that regime or that group falls, and then guess what? They're the Christians. They were there the whole time. They endured suffering, which is why we put all our chips on this thing here, which is why I refuse to accept the accusation from anybody outside, inside, in my own head, mostly that, that we have not done enough, that we're not speaking out, that we're not taking a stand, we're not doing anything. Because we do this week in and week out. We have been for years doing this, and we're going to keep doing it for years. And my conscience is clear before God that I have not avoided talking about anything that his word has brought up as we've gone through it. And we're going to go through the whole Bible. It's going to take some years because it's a big book, but we're going to do everything the word God has said. And you need to remember that. I want to encourage you in that way. That, you know, we read all the times about these godless dead denominations and all the problems they have and all the cults and all these aberrant groups. You're not part of that. I want to remind you and and just refresh you because I can get stuck there, you know, where I read about all this junk going on in somewhere else. And then I I start to feel like, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? And God has to be like, you're not there, man. You're here. You're here with these people. And, you know, then the Lord reminds you, what about this person that you just prayed with on Sunday and is moving forward and now they're, they're getting this thing worked out in their life? What about this friend that everybody was, had given up for lost and now they're back? And what about this family that's getting transformed? And God has to remind us of that. You are a part of a vibrant biblical community. And as we grow in size and everything else, we're going to grow in our effectiveness and our impact too. You know, part of a church plant and we're hardly a church plant anymore, but we kind of are. You've got to earn the right to be there, you know? People have got to see you there for a while. No, you're not going anywhere. Get to know a few people, and we're going to see that. And that's, what, that's the positive thing. That the church, as we do it, is our effort. It's not, uh, you know, specifically against political things, but a lot of the ills that try to be addressed through political methods, we see that that's not the effective way to do it. It's through the church. It's through the teaching of the word and through prayer. Now... A fair question, well, why not do both? You know, why not do all those things and engage in the political process? Why not every now and then pull out a a good law or a godly candidate and say, we're standing behind this? I'll tell you, some people do. I went to Liberty University. Jerry Falwell, the founder of the Moral Majority, that was his school. I went to their high school. I went to their college. I went to their seminary. I know a lot of great and possibly godly men that have taken their stand, not just in the church, but, you know, out in the public square. There, we've prayed for, for Jack Hibbs several times out in California, prayed for John MacArthur, some of those guys that sort of of necessity are kind of being pushed into that realm. And we've said several times, we're not going to judge another man's servant. That, that's the way God's going to use him. That's fine. But I believe that I, as the pastor of this church, have heard from God on this one. 
at least in this stage of our ministry, and I'll tell you, I've had several like sprawled out on the carpet moments with God this year. I said, Lord, is there, I, I think this is what you want us to do, but God, is there more? Is there something else? Do we need to organize something? Do we need to get out there? And God has given me a very firm no for us. And I'm going to give you some quick reasons why not. And these are not, you know, for not, not for everybody are there deal breakers, but this is the reasoning behind we do, why we do what we do. Number one, this is going to go quick. It is not necessary to be politically engaged to accomplish the mission God has given us to do. I have no mandate in Scripture to be politically engaged. I have a lot of mandates to submit to the civil authorities and a lot of them to preach the gospel. But so the idea that we're somehow being disobedient well, is simply not the case. So that's important. Number two, I believe that being engaged in some of these political things detracts from the gospel. Now, the reason I say that is because I have seen so many, look at your history, denominations and church organizations and even entire countries that have decided that we're going to do the gospel and. And the longer it goes on, it's never the and that gets pushed to the side, is it? And you end up with these empty husks of these organizations that were initially started for evangelism, like the Salvation Army and the Red Cross and the YMCA. Still great people in there, but... It's, it's not the same. Denominations have just shriveled up because we're going to preach the word gospel, but we're also going to do the politics thing. And before too long, we're not preaching the gospel anymore. Do we really need it anymore? I've seen that happen way too many times on both sides. Number three, I think being too tied to a party will limit and shape our own beliefs. It becomes too easy to take a position because it's the party line. You know, there's lots of things that are biblical, and we're going to preach on those things. Not a lot in the Bible about tax policy, though. You know, very little in there about foreign policy, for example. But what can start to happen is if we're so tied to this group over here, we're so bathed in it, we start to ignore the blind spots that we might have as being part of this biblically, and we might become attaching biblical significance to things that don't deserve biblical significance. Number four, we want to gain a hearing with everybody. Our primary issue is to get the gospel out there. And just imagine for a minute that there is somebody that is on the opposite political side. Maybe they're, they're lost, they're desperate, they're trying to find God, and they're in their pre-infancy spiritually. Now, we're going to disagree with a lot of things they come in and say, but if they know that we're that, we're that political church that, that hates this or that, they might move right on down the road. You know, and that doesn't excuse them on Judgment Day, but I'd rather just be able to say, no, we, we disagree with you, but I want to be able to talk to you and love on you. Number five, and this is a significant one, and I think we can all affirm this, to take a stand on something that we have not experienced firsthand is a very dodgy business. Accurate information is very hard to come by. To stand, you know, if we were to just look at what we read in the news, and I'm going to stand in this pulpit and denounce somebody, or affirm something, and then three weeks later it turns out, oh, that was all lies. You guys got scammed. There's some political operative that invented that. He knows how to turn the screws on the churches, and we went after something. We've all seen that happen. That, that scares me a little bit, because it's, you know, if you didn't see it happen, it's, and you can't stand on it biblically, then you've you got to be careful. Number six, here's another one we're going to talk about more, but obsession is a dangerous thing, man. And at least lately, and I can, I can hold up my hand as the first, <laughs> the first victim to this, this thing, but, you know, we have just run a four-year experiment on being 100% politically engaged 100% of the time. 
and we're all exhausted and worn out, and it's been a disaster of civil discourse and all the rest of it, because politics by its nature is an, is an angry, combative thing, because it's us versus them. That's just the way it is. It's, you know, that's, that's their thing. It's not our thing. And the, James says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And when you get so wrapped up in it, even if you're not, you know, you don't have any kind of position, but it's just all day long, you know, looking at it, watching the videos, watching, reading the articles, seeing what somebody said, you know, some actor that you don't even care about, but you're really mad about it, you know, and you do that all day long, man, it's an addiction, it's an obsession, and it's junk food for your soul, and it does not produce godly men and godly women, so I would hate to be the one feeding that in anybody, because I've seen it in me, I'm not talking about y'all, me, I've seen myself and how I get, and I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. Number seven, getting more theological here. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our opponents, if we were to be political, those people are the ones we're here to save. We're here for them. They're the ones, the ones that you get so angry at and you start throwing the remote and getting mad. That's the one that Jesus died for. That's the one that Jesus wants to save. Who's going to them? And you know, it's a spiritual battle. Which means you can change the law, but if you don't change hearts, what have you really gained? Remember about more than 100 years ago, we outlawed alcohol in this country. How'd that work out? Worked out horribly because you can outlaw it, but if there's still people that are dead set on doing it, you're in trouble. And you know what? I'm all for laws. And there's a lot of things that my libertarian buddies were like, we should just, everything should be legal, and we just sort it out. I'm like, I don't agree with that. But... I do believe that if you make something illegal, if the people still have it in their hearts to do it, you haven't gained anything. And even if something remains legal, but you change the hearts of people, you've bypassed the whole process. Did you know that that's what happened in the, in the Roman Empire? That people used to just take their kids and throw them out in the streets, and there were a little deposit box where you could put your babies if you didn't want them anymore? You know what Christians started doing? They started going around to those things and taking the babies out and raising them as their own kids. That's where the whole thing of dropping your baby off at the monastery came from. Because the Romans found out that the Christians will take your baby, so why not? That's where orphanages came from. Christians started to go to the battlefield, and a lot of them were pacifists. They wouldn't fight. But they said, you know what, we'll care for the wounded, we'll care for the sick. And then they began to study medicine, and that's where hospitals came from. This is what the church did. We bypassed the process. You know, and I'm not, I, again, not denouncing anything there, but as far as our focus as a church, I'd rather focus on the heart because that's where the battle is won and lost. And number eight, as we've read several times, God is sovereign. The Bible makes abundantly and specifically clear, God raises up and tears down rulers and nations. We should trust him. We should trust his plan. And the thing is, sometimes the plan is not for a purpose that we'd rather enjoy. Remember Habakkuk? He says, I'm coming to judge you. I'm sending Babylon. Oh, Lord, I don't like that plan. <laughs> so, you know, by saying God has a plan, that doesn't always mean that God's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. But God is still sovereign, and he knows better than we do. Now, listen, all of those things, those eight things that I ran through, they're all true. And there are some who say, I'm, I'm ready to go out there and try to navigate that minefield. We are not. I don't think it would be prudent to do so. So you know what we do? We double and triple down on the teaching of the word, prayer, and the sharing of the gospel. So we just had an election. What do we do moving forward? Well, we're going to pray tonight. We're going to pray. And on Sunday morning, we're going to open up our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to study it. We're going to have a prayer meeting that night, home fellowship on Tuesday and Thursday, back in Genesis on Wednesday, 
And then we're going to come back the next week and do it again because we believe that this is what God has called us to do. But let me reiterate what I've already said. We're going to keep going. But can I just call something out for a minute because the Lord had to break me of it. And you know how deadly, you know, you know how freaked out you get by something that you've been stuck in before? Political obsession will destroy your soul, you guys. And what we become is we become the pawns of people that are off somewhere else trying to keep the coalition together. Christians vote when they're angry. Make them angry every day. Make them angry. Find the weirdest, craziest stuff you can and send it down the pike so that they keep clicking. Now, listen, I, as I said at the beginning, I have opinions. I'm happy to discuss them with you. Not from here, but if you want to go have coffee, we can talk about it. But you know what? It becomes far too easy to spend, you know, 60 hours a week reading or watching the news and an hour and a half reading your Bible. And it starts to drive your opinions and your behavior to where now you're not questioning what's on TV. You're questioning what Jesus said. And you start scouring the Internet for some theologian who agrees with you. So we've, we've got to break free of that. But how, to come back to the question, how are we going to act moving forward? You should act the same way you were acting before, by the fruit of the Spirit, in love, joy, peace, self-control, showing honor to people, showing respect to one another. Everyone on every side, for the most part, there's always some, but everyone agrees that we, can we just calm down? Can we just start loving each other again? Hey, shouldn't the church be leading the way in that? Isn't that like our thing, to be loving each other? To be showing grace and mercy and kindness to each other. This is our chance as a capital C church now to make the gospel attractive. Whether, you know, you win or lose this thing, you come out the other side with the joy of the Lord and peace and patience and kindness and a willingness to make peace with your brother, to be eager to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. As Paul said, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Is our chance. Lots of chances, but it's a chance. But you also got to look to the home front, you guys. Look to your own life. This is, this is another thing I've learned through this year. What's happening in your life? How many of us import stress from somebody else's life? Import stress from somebody else's state, somebody else's city, somebody else's election, and we bring it in, and now we're stressing about that too, like we don't got enough going on in our own backyard. And you know what you can do? Not only does it add to your own stuff, but you can miss the life that God's given you. You can miss it because you're so focused on something else. The book of Ecclesiastes is a fascinating book. He says, life is hard, it's short, and you work hard and you don't get any of it. But you know what he says? So you know what you do? Take the life that God has given you and live it up. Enjoy every minute of it. Live, live in joy with your kids. Enjoy with your wife. And if God's given you a lot, enjoy your lot. If God's given you a little, enjoy a little. Just don't, don't obsess. He's like, don't obsess about getting everything because you're going to die someday. Enjoy the life that you've got. And we can say, don't obsess over what he or she or they are doing. Live the life you've been given. Guys, we're moving into Thanksgiving and Christmas time. I command you as your pastor to have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Some of y'all looked at me funny. I said, I command you, and y'all went, easy now. <laughs> These should be joyful times. Nehemiah chapter 9, the people had found that they were in grievous sin and were afraid they were going to get exiled again. And Nehemiah said, no, go home and have a party. Go home and rejoice, because he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Ultimately, what's going to redeem us as a people? 
It's a revival of the Holy Spirit. There ain't nothing you can do to make that happen. You want to try, you want to try making your life about forcing a revival, you're going to get really bitter and start hating people. because You'll start blaming them for not doing enough to make the revival happen. It's in God's hands. And that's ultimately what it comes down to, guys. Either God is sovereign or he's not. And if you cannot believe that God is sovereign, then you need to repent and look back to the word. We are going to continue to do what we've been doing, to insist on the plain truth of Scripture, to pray for God to be merciful, to pray for Him to be gracious, and just to keep going in in what we feel God has called us to be doing. And if we ever feel, feel that we've gotten off base, we'll stop and we'll repent and we'll get back on track. And this means that there will be times when we open up the Word and we're going to address issues like abortion or sexual immorality or Israel, we just talked about that this last week, or religious liberty or issues related to the poor and the downtrodden that, that touch the political sphere. And it's always fun. Whenever I mention one of these, everybody always kind of like tenses up, like, oh, no, where are we going with this? But we're never going to do this in the context of a party or a candidate. Could there ever be a day when we might need to step out and do more? Well, I'll never say never, but this is our default position. I believe it is impeccably, biblically defensible. I feel we're standing firm on the B-I-B-L-E with this one. And as I said, we are not going to judge another man's servant who feels like, no, I feel like we've got to do more. I've got more clout. I've got some people that are listening to me. We've got an audience. Fine. This is what we're doing here. And I'm calling you to have a joyful faith in the Lord who raises up and tears down rulers. And Christ is going to be glorified in the end. And I would also call you, I didn't write this down, but... To take joy in the fact that there is churches everywhere in this country. For all we want to bring down mega churches, a lot of that is like sour grapes, you know, but you know, everyone wants to talk about mega churches. Can we just pause? There are churches that have 45,000 people coming. That's incredible. That's a, that should be a celebratory thing. We're sending out more missionaries than any country in the entire history of the world. We've got people that are praying for and backing God's people, the nation of Israel, every single week. The Lord is not through with us. I really don't think he is. And if he is done, he's got a lot of righteous people to remove so that he doesn't judge the righteous with the unrighteous. That's a joyful thing. We're not done. We'll keep going. We're going to keep going. And you know, the word tells us it's going to be a, we're going to have great victories, but it's ultimately a losing battle because until you deal with sin, it's always going to be there, which is why the Lord is going to rapture his church and he's going to come back and deal with it for once and for all. And he's going to reign for a thousand years and then the earth and sky are going to get rolled up like a scroll and God's going to unload the new one. No sin, no devil. The Lord's going to say, have fun. Off you go. Let's do this for a couple billion, trillion years and see how that goes. So that's pretty conversational. I wanted it to be that way. I didn't want it to be real formal, but I've explained this to just about everybody in this room at some point or another, but I thought it was good for us to do that. Last night, watching the returns come in, I felt that old, that old itch, you know? Like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, that thing. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Oh, that was, yeah, that was. And the Lord just reminded me, he's like, no, <laughs> no. It is the word, Tyler. It is the word. It's my word. It's my gospel. It's that church. Take your eyes off what they're doing in wherever, and turn your eyes to what's happening right in front of you because I'm blessing this church and I'm blessing your family and I'm loving you and I'm giving you everything you're asking for. Keep going. So let's keep going.